This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We have a lot to get to today. A couple of big games Wednesday night. Timberwolves beat the Bucks in Milwaukee, 113-108. We will certainly be talking about that. Loons fall 2-1 in Vancouver. They get a late goal but can't pull all the way back. Fall just below the playoff line now. They're in eighth place in the West Playoff odds not looking nearly as good as they were uh, before that match started. We'll break that down here in a little bit as well. Got some World Series talk as well. Houston squares that at one. And Glenn Perkins will join the show, talk a little bit of Eddie Rosario. He was Eddie Rosario's teammate for three years with the Twins. And I'll also get uh, Glenn Perkins' memory of the 1991 World Series. Wednesday was the 30th anniversary of Game 7 of that World Series. But first, what did I miss? Got to talk Timberwolves at the jump here. That was quite a game uh, for the Wolves in Milwaukee. Like I said, they won 113-108. Got off to a hot start. um, Had a 20-point lead in the second quarter that got whittled down to 6 right away. But they kind of regained their footing, got that lead back up again, and won wire-to-wire. They did not trail in this game. It got tense in a few spots, including the end when the Bucks made a little run, but uh, they had the wherewithal to close this game out. Anthony Edwards with a big driving layup and uh, near the end of that game to help uh, to help clinch it, did a lot of good work down the stretch. Um, you know, really becoming a leader on this team. It was an important game, um, you know, from a lot of different standpoints. First of, you know, first and foremost being, you know, getting a win. You know, second, though, if you remember, Anthony Edwards kind of called out his teammates uh, after uh, after that loss to the Pelicans the other day. And to, for them to come out like this and do what they did, I think was pretty important. Chris Hine, our Timberwolves beat writer, agreed with me. And uh, he sent in a voicemail after the game for this show. Let's listen to that right now. I think the biggest takeaway from tonight's game was, you know, after Monday, you know, Anthony Edwards' strong comments about needing to share the ball on offense, a competitive practice yesterday. You know, I think the biggest thing is that this could have been a a point where you could see this team maybe start to fracture a little bit and and grow apart if, you know, they didn't come out with a strong effort here on Wednesday. But the fact that they played the way they did, I think, bodes well for the cohesion uh, of this unit going forward, their ability to face a little adversity to, you know, whether it be in a practice or in game as Milwaukee was making a run, they held their composure, they came back, they played strong defense, Anthony Edwards hit some key buckets uh, when you needed it the most, and that you know I, I think it's a, it's a complete win. It's it's a it's a very good win, one that can give them a lot of momentum going forward. Here, there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule coming up, so I think this bodes really well. Three and one start, Denver coming to town on Saturday, uh, and then you have a bunch of home games coming up here. So you know for the Timberwolves, the the mission is just keep it rolling. Keep playing the way that you did on Wednesday night, and, and you should be just fine. Now, one thing I thought was interesting from the game, and good insights from Chris, we'll do those voicemail features throughout the year on different beats. Uh, fans, listeners, feel free to jump in, too. Just send them to me. I will post them on the show. Um, don't swear, please. I don't have to use the beep button. We have to, you have to work on the beep button enough for Anthony Edwards. I'm not even going to try the, the, Gian, the honest quote he had after the game today. Um, so we're, we're gonna we're not gonna worry about that, but uh, 
But Anthony Edwards, you know, had had a good game. He wasn't super efficient in this game, but he he had had the had the buckets when when he had to have them. Like I said, made that driving layup, made two free throws at the end to keep that game a four point lead. And you know, he was asked after the game, you know, a couple different things. One to the effect of you know closing out games and, and being comfortable in those situations. And here's what he had to say about that. Whoever had the ball was going at, at the end of the game. I mean, Cat, D'Lo, me, whoever, it didn't really matter. So I had it at the end, and D'Lo was coming. <laughs> it's like, bro, just gone. I got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me be a closer, too. <laughs> Second piece, he was asked about, you know, the stuff that he said after the game the other night against the Pelicans was they were trying to do too much three on five. They got to share the ball more. They got to get more shots for Carl Anthony Towns. Or I'm sorry, not for Carl Anthony Towns. They got to get more shots for people other than Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and D'Angelo Russell. And what I thought was interesting from Wednesday's game is that wasn't really the way the game played out. I thought the ball movement was better. They certainly had more assists, a higher percentage of assists on those shots. I think they made 29 field goals in the game um, on, you know, the, a much higher assist percentage in that game than the other night. So, you know, just and just watching the game, the ball movement was better. But at the end of the day, their three stars still ended up taking the vast majority of the shots. Against the Pelicans the other night, 61 out of the 90 shots that the Wolves took were from D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, or Anthony Edwards. Against the Milwaukee Bucks, 62 of the 91 shots they took almost identical numbers were by those big three and you know here's the thing those guys should be taking those shots they are the star players I think you know there's the if there's a twofold message from Ant the other night was you know better ball movement don't let the ball don't let it break down don't let it bog down I think that's good the other piece of it get everybody else involved get them shots yeah to a degree but I want those three taking most of the shots because those are by far in a way the three most talented offensive players in the team you know, they've got some other guys that can certainly score. Malik Beasley can score. Nas Reed can score. Patrick Beverly can give you some shooting, things like that. But, you know, by and large, those are your three best players on the offensive end by far, and they should be taking the shots. So Ant was asked after the game what he thought about the way the team responded to his message, specifically about kind of the ball movement and getting things going the other way. Got to get a little better with finding the other guys, but as far as Everybody touching the ball, everybody being happy, feeling good. Yeah, I was I was pretty satisfied with it tonight. I mean, let's face it, a big factor in this game was they made shots, and specifically D'Angelo Russell made shots. He'd been bad to start the year, but 12 for 25 in this game, a high, high volume, but he had it going, especially early, finished with 29 points, six assists, five rebounds, wasn't shying away from the moment. He was a plus three on the night, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, He's, he's going to be kind of that player. As he goes, you know, so might go the Wolves. If he has a good shooting night, they're going to have a good chance to win. If he has a bad shooting night, they're probably not going to win. And they need to have more of those D-low nights than, than the bad D-low nights that you saw, especially against the Pelicans the other night. And Chris Finch was asked about that after the game, uh, head coach Chris Finch. And here is what he had to say about D'Angelo Russell and the way that was going for him on Wednesday night. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, mo it's mostly him. Like, you know, I just, you know, I, like I told you guys the other day, everybody goes through a rough patch or when you're out of rhythm in this, in this season. And sometimes it happens to be when you start and he was trying to do everything we'd asked him to do. And he was probably overthinking it. And, um, you know, we just 
he, you know, he was determined to come out aggressive and that's what we wanted him to do. So um, he really, you know, was electric to start, um, gave us that early, early push and, and uh, gave, you know, gave us great confidence in that lead, of course. Now, one thing that can't be overlooked in this game, they made a starting lineup switch. Jared Vanderbilt goes into the game for Josh Akogi, probably part of that being size. Uh, Finch addressed that. I'll play that clip here in just a minute. But, you know, lost a little bit in their good defensive start. I mean, the first two games of the year, they were number one in the league in defensive rating. Um, they still played reasonable defense against the Pelicans and only gave up 108 to the Bucks the other night, which is a good defensive effort as well. Lost in that was that their defensive rebounding has been awful, and I think part of that is they're undersized up front, right? And when, when you got Josh Akogi or J Jaden McDaniels essentially, you know, playing the three-four, th those guys are not all that big, especially Akogi. Like they're, 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 you know, McDaniels is tall, but he just doesn't have the muscle to push guys around. And, you know, Jared Vanderbilt isn't super thick either, but he's a bigger body. He's a longer body. They tried to, you know, throw as many big bodies on Giannis as they could, like uh, like Finch said, but. The defensive rebounding for this team had been atrocious, had been the worst in the league through the first three games, still statistically is the worst in the league, but they got a much higher percentage of those rebounds. It had been hovering around 64 65% in their defensive rebounding percentage for the first three games. It was 72% last night against the Bucks. That would be about middle of the pack for the full season, 13th. Uh, over a one-game span, so it got better when they went to that bigger lineup, and I wonder if they will keep going to that, especially in certain matchups. Because I thought Jared Vanderbilt brought a lot to the table. Um, you know, had a had a good all-around game. You know, ten points, thirteen rebounds, even had three assists, had a steal. Um, you know, affected the game in a certain way that you know, not saying Josh Kogi can't affect the game, and he did a lot of good things in those games that he was starting, but. Uh, you know, Jared Vanderbilt did bring a certain element to that game. And here's Chris Finch on the reason behind that lineup switch. Well, I th we, were, we, were, we were half expecting them to go with uh, Um And so we thought the matchup would be a little bit more in line. But when we learned that they weren't, we just stayed big. We knew we needed to rebound. Um, we, you know, we were fine with the matchups as they were. Uh, and, this, you know, you know, being able to control this team has to do with being able to put your body in front of Giannis, and and we we needed as many many people and big bodies willing to do that as we could get. So all in all, just to kind of circle back on it, like Chris Hines at the start of the show, it was just a big win. It's a good win for them. You know, you could start to see how the season could turn a little bit. I know it's super early, and it can always turn back. The season's going to turn seven different times uh, before it's all over. We're only four games into an eighty-two game season, but you could kind of you could see. This was an important one based on how they played against the Pelicans and what the messaging was after that game and what was, you know, what was deemed to be a pretty tough practice, a pretty aggressive practice after that. You know, this team is showing that they've they've got some chemistry. They're not afraid to kind of call each other out or hold each other accountable. And that's going to be a big deal going forward. That was a big deal in the Jimmy Butler years too. That was always a point of contention with him. Can I criticize my teammates? And if they are able to do that and if the leader of that is a 20-year-old named Anthony Edwards. Um, that is all the better and bodes very well for this team. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe.
Really happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Glenn Perkins. We go way back, Glenn. I consider you uh, a friend, I guess, right? We're 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 buds. We're we've we've hung out before. We've uh, I've seen I've seen unspeakable acts. No, I'm just kidding. You know where the ba- you you know where you know where the bodies are buried. Um, but see me do some things that I'm not entirely proud of. But uh, wow. I would say I would say we are friends, Mike. I, I think uh, you're definitely more than just a newspaper man to me. Oh, you're definitely more than a former baseball player now to me. Um, you've come to speak to my journalism class at the U of M multiple times. Just an all-around good guy. You're down in Florida right now enjoying a little sunshine, more than we've got here uh, here today. But uh, just wanted to, I want to talk to you a little bit about Eddie Rosario because you guys were teammates for three years, um, You know, t- beginning part of his career, tail end of yours. And he's just, you know, obviously what he's what he's done in the playoffs kind of speaks for itself, but it's also kind of a continuation of a theme almost of, of kind of what he did with the twins, which was in the big moments that, that seemed to be where he, where he played his best. So maybe just, if you can just, what was it like to be his teammate? What do you remember about Eddie Rosario? Well, I think like what he's done now, it's a, it's a, I mean, that's what teams are trying to do. Like, you want to get to the playoffs and you want to get hot. Eddie Rosario, when he's hot, is as good of a hitter as anybody that I've ever seen. You know, and, and when he's not, he's not. But when he gets hot, man, he goes on tears. And it, it's it's little things that I've seen him do going the other way. He went the other way last night uh, late in the game and drawing walks. He drew a, a walk late in game six in the, in the NLCS where he just sees the ball. And I, I told Royce, it's almost, it looks like a beach ball to him at those times. And then when he's cold, it looks like he's trying to hit a ball. But when he gets hot, he's got that ability. And it also, like, think back to his very first at-bat of his career, the first pitch he ever saw. Home run. Home run to left field. And he does. He has a knack for those big moments that it's, like, extra focus, Um, you know. And I do feel like in moments where you need a guy up there that is going to put together a good at bat and, and put a good swing on a ball, he's on the short list for me. And that's, you know, definitely not the case over the course of 162 games, but in moments like that, I, I love him. He, he gets locked in and uh, you put him up there with anybody. He got incredible hands. The, the bat to ball has always been there. He just, when he gets into trouble, he expands the strike zone. When he stays within himself, I think I read something about his approach and how he's changed a little bit and been working on that with the Braves. And it looks like that's working too. But man, I love him. I, it, it's so fun, you know, when when I don't get to watch the Twins be in it to see guys that I played with that I love being teammates with um, get to have that success and be on that stage. He deserves it. He's earned it. And uh, there's not very many guys that I that I like to see having that success and seeing his smile out on the field than Eddie Rosario. What's it like being a teammate with someone like that who's you know goes through? hot and cold stretches is, you know, kind of got the, he's just, he just looks to me like he approaches every situation. Like he could be the hero and does not worry about what happens if he fails. No, not at all. You know, and it's not in a cocky way. Like he thinks he's going to go up there and get a hit every time. He thinks that he's the best hitter in the game. And that's an approach that you have to have. And any good baseball player is going to have an air of cockiness, is going to have an air of I'm better than you. And if you if you go up there without that attitude, you have no chance. Whether you're hitting or hitting, you don't have a chance if you don't think that you're going to have success uh, against whoever it is you're facing. And and he has that. And I tell you what, he he was very successful when I played with him. I mean, he, he was a really good player for us, really good hitter. 
but he never, when he was slumping, he never got down. He didn't. He was the same guy. He always prepared. He always approached every at-bat the same. I, I think he's got a very short memory and, and doesn't carry things from at-bat to at-bat. He doesn't carry whether he makes a really good throw or he throws it 14 rolls into the, into the you know, <laughs> bleachers on a throw. He, he's going to try every time thinking that, you know, he can make that throw or that I can hit this guy every at bat, every, every play that he has, he approaches the same way. And, and that's, it's, it's huge for, for any major league baseball player to have a short memory, to be able to do that. But he goes up there thinking he's, he's the best hitter in the world. And I love that. I mean, I, I absolutely, like I said, I love playing with him. I love watching him hit and I love watching him have success. Um, and he's, he's got that special ability. That's a separator for me. How would you, obviously you guys were teammates, how would you pitch to a guy like that, especially when he was in a hot zone? Obviously for you it would have been lefty on lefty, so you've got some built-in advantage there, but how do you even approach someone who is that dialed in and is a player like that? You know, it's, it's really hard to convince yourself, and I think we'll see it the, the way the Astros approach him as the series goes on. You can't throw him away. He's got such good hands out. He likes to get extension. He likes to throw the barrel at the ball. You have to crowd him. And it's tough to convince yourself to do that. He's so quick. But I, I can definitely tell in his at-bats right now that he's looking out over the plate. He wants something away. He can go out and get that. He can pull a pitch. We saw him in game six in the ALCS almost hit a home run to right center field on a pitch out and away where he almost gets around it. He gets out and gets around it. So you have to crowd him. And, and, and I just I think his approach right now is that middle away, try to hit it the other way. Maybe he gets out front a little bit and pulls it. But you got to crowd him and, and, and elevate on him. I, I think that breaking balls maybe later in that bat you can get him on if you get him out front. But it, it's that up and in, up above the strike zone, and then in on him. You have to get in on him. You see when he sets up, he's got his hands out. He wants that ball out of the plate where he can get extended. So you got to crowd him and just hope that it's not one where he's looking to turn and burn. And, and if he's not, that's, that's where they're going to get him out. So I'd be surprised over the next couple of days. I mean, the Astros – advanced scouting yes their pitching plan is as good as it gets um and i think we'll start to see them work him more in more up in the strike zone and they're gonna have to i mean he's middle late in that lineup he's he's a good bat and a good fit in that lineup in that kind of five six seven spot where he's been hitting now the twins let him go and intellectually i think a lot of us understood why you kind of looked at relative value you look at you know the, the glut of outfielders they have coming up promising guys like Kirilov, Larnik. like you looked at it and you're like okay that that makes sense for for the production for you know the the raw stats doesn't walk a lot you know he's prone to these slumps still I couldn't I couldn't shake the feeling like I I, I wanted to see Eddie Rosario on the twin so it's just like this push-pull where I was like uncomfortable with getting rid of him even if it made a certain amount of intellectual sense and you are analytically driven to a certain degree too how do you kind of square how you feel about eddie rosario with what some of the numbers sometimes tell you yeah i i, I totally get you and, and i agree I, I mean i think it was the right move on the twins part and anybody can have success in the playoffs and like i said over the course of 162 games he, he's not going to if he's hit 400 over the course of those games there's no concern about him leaving or not but he's he he isn't that guy he's outperforming but guys do that in the playoffs and that happens and that's okay um you know i I get it i get it from the twins perspective i i i trust eric and thad and and their vision for this team and the the direction that they want to take it and so you kind of like i said i get it man i i I, it's i'm just happy that he is having success i don't feel 
when he has success that, man, that's a guy that the Twins let go that they shouldn't have. I'm just happy that he's having success. And and that's the, the kind of the view that I take of it. It's it's okay that he's having success there, and it's okay that he's not having that success with the Twins. I'm just happy for, for him as a, as a player and as a person. I like that approach to it, Glenn. A couple more things for you. Um, we were chatting a little bit before the segment started just about, you know, the the day we're recording this Wednesday is the 30-year anniversary of, you know, Jack Morris, Game 7 and 91. You were, I believe, eight years old then. I was just I asked you how, what you remember from that time, and so I want – I want to ask you again now that we're what what we're now that we're recording what you know what you remember as an eight year old from the ninety one World Series. Yeah, I think I think what I remember and and you know what I know of it are probably the same kind of thing. I, it's tough for me to to kind of differentiate what has been manufactured and and of of what I know now of playing for them, and knowing the history all those things versus what I saw when I was eight years old. I don't really know, but I, I do know that I watch the game. But, I do. but again, you see those things on TV and you hear about them being a part of the organization, all those things. So I don't know, really know how to differentiate what I, what I remember and, and what I don't. But uh, I choose to believe that, that I remember Puckett hitting the home run. I, John, you know, the was not John Gordon, uh, Buck saying, we'll see you tomorrow night and, and those things. And then Jack the next day, um, I think that I think that I do remember that, and I'm going to go with that. <laughs> That's an interesting. It's just interesting thought exercise about memory and like what what you really remember and what is just you've seen the replay a hundred times, and so do you remember the actual thing? Do you remember the replay? Do you remember? Do you have a memory of the memory? What what is that? Uh, where where do we live in that space? I thought that was an interesting answer you had originally, so I appreciate you uh, you expanding that. So. Last thought for you, like what? What have you been up to? We've seen you on Twins broadcast. Like, how you doing? I'm. You know what? I'm really good. Um, I uh, yeah, I'm down playing golf in Florida right now. Took the opportunity to get out of town a little bit and uh, enjoying that. Um, outside of that, like I wish that we were still doing baseball. I wish we got to watch the Twins play, but we don't. There's always next year, so hopefully things are heading in the right direction. I think they're trending in the right direction for the team. So I, I'm looking forward to next season. Uh, even though this season just ended, and outside of that, being a dad, I got a kid in high school, so there's there's that, um, and uh, just trying to navigate our way and, and stay healthy and safe through, hopefully, what is the downswing of COVID. I can't believe you have a high schooler now. That's time just time is flying. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's crazy to me. Like those kids were like ten and eight the last I feel like I really remember. Yeah, I'm not that I'm not that old, but I I I, I feel like I'm a high schooler and I have a high school. <laughs> High schooler at heart. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been too long. Let's get together soon. Appreciate uh, appreciate you hopping on the podcast and enjoy the rest of Florida. All right. Hi, right, Mike. Great stuff from Perk. Um, talked a lot about Eddie Rosario. Of course, we talked before Game Two of the World Series. Rosario held without a hit. Maybe some of those adjustments from Houston. That, uh, that he was saying could be happening were part of that game plan. Houston wins that game, squares the series 1-1. We'll see if Eddie Rosario can get it back going when the series resumes in Atlanta for Game 3 over the weekend. Let's shift to soccer. The Loons fall 2-1 to to Vancouver on Wednesday night in Vancouver. Tough loss for Minnesota United. Drops them into eighth place in the West. There's only two matches left. Only seven teams make the playoffs. You do 
the math going into this game. I had done the math. Um, a lot of different projection sites had them with about a 60 to 70% chance to make the playoffs going into that Vancouver game. 538.com has that all the way down to 43% now after that loss. Still not out of the question, but two tough, important games coming up this Sunday against um, Sporting KC, one of the best teams in the league, and then what really could determine their fate um, the, the following Sunday against the LA Galaxy, a team that's above them in the standings, still a chance to catch up to them, but uh, it's not, it's not going to be easy by any stretch. Those are going to be two very difficult games, teams with stuff to play for, um, you would presume, so that won't be easy. And this match was frustrating, right? They you know, they give up an own goal towards the end of the first half, um, you know, created by pressure, created by a long ball. Um, you know, and Adrian Heath was pretty critical of, uh, of, of his team after the game, you know, kind of the way they defended on those, on those two, uh, on those two goals that they gave up. Uh, you know, he said after the first one, which is, you know, came on a long ball that they ended up going in off of defender, Michael Boxall, um, he said two disappointing goals. They didn't have to work hard enough for the goals. Uh, that was Heath's first quote on that. Uh, he said Boxall, as soon as he came in after halftime, said, hey, that goal's on me. You can't get done with a long straight ball like that. He said it's not like the guy has made a clever run or anything. He just chased the long ball through the middle. You can't get beat on a 70-yard straight ball. So that was poor form. That was poor from our point of view. Now, the second goal, they just kind of, you know, Almost they almost equalized. They get one off the post, and that was a theme on um, on Wednesday night's game. And then Vancouver comes right back down and uh, scores. And again, Heath calls that goal poorly defended. The Loons kind of let them get a little too comfortable, a little too close in there. And all of a sudden, it's two nothing. And you know, two nothing um, in the you know the 60th, 70th minute. It's going to be hard to come back from. They do draw one back very late, but can't get the equalizer. You know the. The stats tell you that the, the Loons didn't play all that poorly. They had 58% of the possession, 20 shots, five of them on target. Vancouver had just nine shots, two of them on target. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the scoreboard is what matters. And just watching some of that game, it just seemed like there was a, a real creativity in the Loons game that's been lacking and was continued to be lacking. They just don't, they don't make it hard enough for teams to defend them, in my point of view. They're, they're a little bit too stagnant on offense they're not creative enough you know Manuel Reynoso is tremendous they've got some skill I just don't know if they're maximizing their skill right now and it didn't seem like they were in that game and now they're behind the eight ball uh to, to use a cliche they are you know they're gonna they're gonna be right there at the end but they're gonna have to win some games that that maybe uh that maybe you're you know toss-ups at the very least just to get into the playoffs and who knows what happens from there so on the verge of a disappointing season, Jerry Zagoda the other day on the show said it would be a big disappointment if they don't make the playoffs, and right now they are on the outside looking in. Let's finish with the cooler. Wild at Kraken Thursday night, their first game in Seattle since that franchise was awarded a expansion team. Should be pretty cool. I might even ask Sarah McClellan, our beat writer, to, uh, to do one of those voicemails from that game as well just because it's got such... You know, such an interesting matchup. I just want to know what the atmosphere there was like, things, uh, things like that. You know, so Wild obviously off to a great, uh, great start this year, five and one so far on the season. You know, looking like they're going to be in contention for a playoff spot. You know, all the way through the Kraken, uh, not off to a great start, two, four and one. You know, as you as you might expect for an expansion franchise, 
They play over in the Pacific, of course. So, you know, we'll see what the game itself looks like. But, uh, you know, right now, you know, the Wild, like I said, 5-1, and one, plenty to play for in this game. And I'm just kind of looking forward to what, you know, what this looks like, even just if it's on TV right now, what it looks like to see hockey in Seattle. And I should have a lot more of that on Friday show as well, along with Mark Craig for his weekly NFL picks segment. Thank you so much for joining me here on Daily Delivery today. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you like the show. We'll be back at it on Friday.